Hello, and thank you for listening. I'm Jay Lemons. Welcome to Leaders on Leadership, brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. The purpose of our podcast is to share the stories of the people and forces that have shaped leaders in higher education and to learn more about their thoughts on leadership in the academy today. Really delighted today to be joined by Sonny Ramaswamy. Sonny's the president of the Northwest Commission on Colleges and Universities, which accredits institutions of higher education in the Northwest region of the United States, British Columbia, and other domestic and international geographic areas. Before joining the Northwest Commission, Sonny served for six years as President Barack Obama's appointee as the director of the National Institute of Food and Agriculture. And prior to that, held administrative leadership roles in Oregon State's College of Agricultural Sciences, Purdue's agricultural research programs, and um, he's an entomologist from Kansas State University. He's widely published, an award-winning teacher and scholar, including having been named a fellow of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. He holds a bachelor's and master's degree from the University of Agricultural Sciences in Bangalore, India, and a doctorate in entomology from Rutgers. I had the pleasure of getting to know you, Sonny, through the search that brought you to the Northwest Commission. And what a joy it's been for me to watch you guide these 156 institutions from eight states in the Pacific Northwest during such an incredible time of change in higher education. Let me just say welcome, Sonny. All right. Thank you so much, Jay. appreciate you having me here. And uh, I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you. Me as well. You know, one of the goals, Sonny, um, uh, for our program is to really ask and probe and push leaders to reflect a bit and to consider their own pathways to leadership with a hope that others are going to be lifted up and inspired. And, and Sonny, you, know, you have a story. I know you have a story, and I hope you'll share whatever of it you would like with our listeners about you know, the events, the people, the opportunities that really shaped and forged you in to um, uh, the leader who I would expect um, has had a career that you could never have imagined having unfolded. Wow. What a, what a uh, fantastic question. And, uh, uh, you know, thinking about the question that you just asked and where I come from and where I am today, who would have thunk it? It's, it's crazy. And uh, in your intro, you said that I had received my uh, bachelor's and, and master's degrees in Bangalore, India. So that should tell your listeners that I, uh, and even the name Ramaswamy, it's a South Indian name, born and raised in, uh, in India, uh, born in Hyderabad, India, and raised in Bangalore. Bangalore is a place that many of your listeners probably uh, know of or have interacted, uh, re, you know, if they have called for a bank, you know, some problems with the bank or making a reservation for a hotel or an airline or whatever, that have probably spoken to some young person uh, that is out there in Bangalore. And uh, uh, that's where I grew up. And, and my mom uh, raised us uh, four boys as a single parent. My dad had had only a high school education and like a lot of people amongst your listeners and their parents as well of that generation, particularly the the passport out of uh, poverty, the passport out of uh, whatever life they had was joining the military. And so my dad did the same thing. And uh, so he uh, uh, got out and uh, he met my mother when she was 15 and uh, uh, and uh, she had only had an eighth grade education when she got married. 
And uh, so and my dad uh, died when my mother was only 32. And my father died in a fire accident. He saved a man in a fire in our home and he himself died. But the man that he saved lived to be about 80 plus years old or whatever. So my mother was left with four boys, eighth grade education with you know no money at all. We got a little bit of some you know pension in quotes, but it was really back in the early 1960s, 1962 to be exact. I was about nine plus and my eldest brother was about 15. And uh, my mother with her eighth grade education, she worked three different jobs and she would you know sometimes go barefooted if need be so she could put shoes on our feet. And she insisted education was gonna be the passport for us. Education, education, education. So she sent us to Jesuit schools. So my brothers and I studied at uh, Jesuit schools in Bangalore. And, and as you may know, Jay, the Jesuits have an outstanding record of, uh, you know, educating and healthcare and such other areas as well. So we got that foundational education. And I think in many ways who I am today, it, it, my mother is my hero. I've got a few other heroes and, and my mother is absolutely my, my hero because she did these things. And, and her admonition to us was maintain your integrity, don't lie and uh, make a difference and be held accountable. Making the difference was very important for her. And that's what she did, she made a difference. And then later on, I, you know, I was privileged. I, I finished high school and uh, you know, got into the agricultural college in Bangalore, courtesy of the United States of America. You know, you know America, India was a basket case at that time and uh, uh, you know, couldn't feed itself. So America, the, the United States Agency for International Development called upon uh, land grant universities in America, like you know Ohio State University, Kansas State University, University of Tennessee, et cetera, to go to India to help build land grant colleges, not unlike what we have here in the States. So I studied at one of those institutions with the, the tripartite mission of research, extension, and teaching. And so students that studied there got that exposure of all three areas. It was literally hands-on learning is what it was that we got. And, and thanks in large, so my university was adopted by the University of Tennessee, by the way. There are others that were adopted by Kansas State and Ohio State and Michigan State and others too. Got my education there. But the other thing that happened too for me is, is sort of uh, seared in my brain is I was about a boy of like 10 or 11, you know, we're very poor. And uh, so, you know, occasionally would hear my grandmother, would, she stayed with us, she'd take care of us when my mother went to work, these three different jobs sewing and teaching people how to do jams and jellies and baking. And she had no other things but those, you know. She, she worked at a Votex school and taught at home as well. So my, my grandma somehow through the grapevine would hear that America has sent extra sugar, extra powdered milk, extra rice or whatever. And I was a little boy, I'd go stand in line with the little, you know, bags and things like that. And I'd see these burlap bags and containers with the handshake and the shield with the stars and stripes on it. And that thing is burned in my brain, I can tell you that. And uh, I had no clue what that was, you know, and, uh, but I knew that there was something to do with uh, people helping or whatever. I didn't even know that, I don't think. So America fed me. And the third thing that happened was uh, one Norman Borlaug happened. And that name may not uh, ring a bell to most people, but some of your listeners may know it, particularly ones at land-grant universities. Norm Borlaug uh, is said to have fed a billion people, including yours truly. 
because uh, India, again, couldn't feed itself. Norm Borlaug's research helped set the stage. I kid you not, India went from a basket case, unable to feed itself, to a net exporter of grain by 1973. Wow. Some measure the result of uh, Norm's as well as other Indian scientists that stepped up. And I had the privilege of meeting him as a sophomore in college. And then I, you know, read the next year, I thought another white guy running around, you know, tall, skinny white guy running around. Like there's a lot of tall white guys running around in those days in India, trying to help India. And uh, only the following year I learned he had received the Nobel Prize. So he's another of my heroes, uh, Norm Borlaug. He is a hunger fighter. And so I said, you know, at that time, I wanted to be a hunger fighter as well. And uh, so then I, you know, long story short, I got, uh, uh, in quotes, recruited to come to America to get my PhD. And then I got talked into staying put in America. And uh, so I've had a number of people. And of course, I've read a lot of books and, and interact. It's not so much the books. It was literally the hands-on learning that I received, the hand-holding that I received. You know, Barack Obama talked about how a few years ago, that it's not I who invented or I who created or whatever. We walk on the shoulders of others that created these things and we're only making it better. Every one of us is an example of that. And that, I'm, I'm truly one of those examples of somebody that's been privileged to have had those sorts of opportunities. And then, you know, uh, like they say, the rest is history. And I ended up getting a phone call saying, this is from the White House and I, I'm going to say this this way. You can edit this out. And I said, you got to be, they said this from the White House. And I said, you got to be shitting me. <laughs> and because who gets a call from the White House? And uh, so. Uh, Misha they, kept the food theme running through that. Metaphor. <laughs> right, right, right. So in any case, I, I was uh, privileged. And, and like I say, you know, who would have thunk it? You know, I was a poor skinny little boy. And, uh, and then suddenly to be able to go to the White House and meet with the president, the first lady, we were invited many times and, and go to the White House for various meetings and, and having that global impact, talking about, you know, hunger fighter and, and paying forward and things like that. One of my, you know, my mother is a hero. My Norm Borlaug is another hero. Martin Luther King is another one that has been a hero for me as also Mahatma Gandhi. And uh, but Norm Borlaug, particularly from a food perspective, education perspective, and, and the idea that my mother articulated education, really important. That's going to get you out of this morass of poverty. It did. All four of his brothers uh, have had uh, wonderful careers and uh, thanks in large measure to that education. Sonny, uh, thank you so much for sharing. I, I um, uh, had the privilege of knowing um, and hearing um, uh, some of that story and, and knowing of the presence of, of your mother. Um, but I cannot help but think that uh, it's a story that needs to be as widely told as it can be. And, and yet it's also really deeply personal. And, uh, and so thank you for the gift of, of sharing it. Um, thank you. Yeah. I, 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 I want to pick up and I, I think that, you know, there are going to be some themes that are going to, you know, ring through um, a lot of what I'd like to probe today, but I, I'm, you know, I'm mindful of the most recent commission um, uh, newsletter called The Beacon. Um, uh, real focus around equity and inclusion, um, including your letter and talking about accreditation standards and what and how we can think about um, uh, 
closing you know the the gaps um, uh, that we continue to have not only in access but in in, in success and and I you know I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about the work that you and your colleagues in the Northwest are doing in this area. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so. Uh, so, as you know, Jason, you were involved in recruiting me to this place. We, uh, we were given the, uh, the rap, I should say, by everybody outside, that we were just a pedantic, has-been, wield our stick, and threaten people and things like that. And I'm not saying anything out of turn here. That's, that's the, the, the reputation we had. And I think in general, as you know, accreditation has been given a bad rap that we don't hold institutions accountable and things like that, that we need to be terminated. In fact, there's one president of an institution, you read that article, I'm certain, in the Chronicle of Higher Education here about a year, a year and a half ago, he said that accreditors are devil incarnate. <laughs> I think you have, may have read that, okay? Yeah. And, and that's the reputation. Also, higher education has had a a, a reputation that it is for the, you know, the privileged few. It's for that old boys club. And it's still there. You look at our professoriate, you look at the makeup of our institutions and things like that. You see, still see that sort of a country club. And in fact, we've all, you know, higher education, I'm part of it, right? We've also been accused of having the plantation mentality. This is the conversation that we've had. And, and so I, I came on board and I've had this, you know, because of my own background, which is what is reflected in many, many young people today, students today, I shouldn't say young people only, students today coming to college is often <clears throat> they are the child or a foreigner themselves, like me. Um, I kept the joke that I'm an FOB fresh off the boat. And then along with that, you've got, uh, first-time college attendee, right? And uh, I, I meet that criterion. Uh, come from a poor background, I meet that criterion. Child of a single parent, I meet that criterion, et cetera. And so I've always had this idea, that, you know, something to do about, you know, the, the lesser of our, of, our, of our family of humans that we got to do something. You know, I've invoked many times, uh, in fact, in that article that you referenced in the Beacon, our newsletter, there's this, it's, it's not just a Christian ethos, but an ethos in Buddhism and Hinduism and Judaism and all that too, which is I'm my brother's keeper, right? What's incumbent on us as educators to protect the interests of the less fortunate amongst us? It's not one of giving as much as how can we support to bring up? So that was, that's been part of my, my own upbringing and my own ethos, my own opportunities that I was afforded by a whole bunch of people that I referred to earlier. And, and so I come on the scene just about the right time. And right about that time, we had to go through changing our standards, re reviewing and revising per U.S. Department of Education requirements and things like that. And we launched, immediately I launched, I mean, literally, I came on board July 1 of uh, uh, three years ago, 2018. And the... Uh, uh, two weeks later, I was on the road listening around the region and around America. What should we do about a higher education, about accreditation and things like that? How do we do what we need to do? Through all that, we revised 
reviewed and revised our standards. And the focus, rather than students being an afterthought, number one, students. Number two, compliance and all that. We flipped it on its head. And uh, so it's student success and closing equity gaps. And I went around speaking to, I, I co-opted Bill Clinton's uh, famous uh, statement from the 1992 election. And I said, it's the students, stupid. And that's what it's supposed to be. It's not just about access. That's right. But we've got to figure out ways to do the mentoring and the advising and the handholding and making sure that they have the resources and other support that they need as well. And then there are a number of institutions that are doing it today. You know, Georgia Tech is an outstanding example of the approach that they've used, as you've seen. So we incorporated that. We hit just about that same time. We, we you know, went through 99.2% of our institutions, member institutions, voted to approve those standards. They all bought into the idea that it is about the students, stupid. It is about equity. Bought into the idea. We got to get that going. And right about that time, you know, the Gates Foundation comes along and they advertise that they're looking for uh, ideas to what's referred to as uh, intermediaries for scale, i.e. to transform institutions from where they're at, where you have across America, one out of two students drops out yeah. for the general population and only one out of three students of color make it through. There's something bad wrong with that image, with that picture. So that's been the impetus, and that's how we got started. And then, you know, uh, we, we're you know offering a lot of training and education. We've brought to bear a lot of resources from around America to our one. Now today we have 100, 163 institutions, by the way. You've grown. And uh, because they hear that we're doing good things. And we're the, by the way, we're, we're the innovators, you know, rather than being the also rants and pedantic and hold a stick and beat the crap out of you. In fact, when the Gates Foundation said they, they were interested in talking to us as accreditors because we have the stick, as in, uh uh, we use the carrot in our approach because the carrot has a lot more effect than the stick does. Everybody knows I got the stick in my back pocket, and, but we'll use the carrot. And so, well, so now we're well on our way and the Gates Foundation money that we received, it will allow us to fast track our ability to get, uh, you know, we're creating the infrastructure. It's all, you know, data and evidence driven, informed, I should say, not just uh, hand waving, et cetera, et cetera. And we're focused on what we refer to as inculcating in students core competencies. This goes back to Jim Heckman's wonderful Nobel laureate, uh, Jim Heckman, H-E-C-H-M-A-N. Uh, some of your listeners may have heard him, of him as an econ economist. And, and his work has shown that these core, these critical skills, you know, these soft skills that we refer to are really important. So we've incorporated that into our standards and things like that. So that's what we're doing. And, and I'm really excited. I think, you know, already we're seeing, you know, signs of, of our, at our tribal colleges, at our, uh, we have 39 institutions that sort of work with students from underserved communities. You know, there, there's a sort of a, an interesting dynamic that is you know, coming up that we're bringing all these resources to support them. Now, our role is to support. Our role is not to go and, and beat up. It's not a top down, it's a bottom up. And so going back to so it's the focus is on success, success, success. That's what it is. I, I love it. And, and thank you. I, you know, I, I, I am... I am mindful because I heard you speak about it many years ago now. Um, the intersections in your life that have brought you 
um, uh, uh, into relationship with our, uh, you know, with our wonderful tribal colleges serving our indigenous populations. Uh, you know, and, and there's, there are, as I hear you talk today, that just the points of connectivity and common cause that you bring um, as a person and your own background, boy, that just all adds to the wholeness of the picture. And bless you for doing that. Thank you. I want to turn to, you know, maybe some leadership questions, the next uh, two or three. I'm going to bounce around a little bit on us today, but uh, I, I, I like to ask people to tell us what in your mind makes someone a good leader. And, and I always qualify it by saying, I'm not talking about grade B. I'm talking about good in terms of virtuous and effective and ultimately successful yeah i uh, what a what a wonderful question uh, you know i i do a lot of mentoring uh have been doing for a very long time uh, of uh, from students in high schools and grade schools all the way to presidents of universities and provosts and deans and others as well and across the world not just here in the united states but across the globe and and i say one of the the greatest qualities that i've you know seen in great leaders and I aspire to that all the time, is to live vicariously through the efforts of others. You celebrate the efforts of others. You, 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 know, you play the advocate, you play the cheerleader, you play the person that's you know, behind, not in front, saying, yeah, I'm the man, I'm, you know. Uh, remember when Ronald Reagan died and, and uh, we had uh, his uh, secretary said, oh gosh, uh, uh, blanked on his name he stood there I'm, I'm the man in charge he went off you know what, and probably Haig. got shot yeah. Yeah. Uh, craig uh what was his name uh, alexander haig yeah. hey hey alexander haig yeah uh that's not the type of leadership right so one is to to recognize what people do and support them so they achieve greatness and then you are you know gratified and and to me that's an important uh uh, criteria. My, I've been privileged. I've had phenomenal uh, mentors over the years, and every one of those individuals uh, has always been of that sort of an approach. That's something that's a really important characteristic that you got to have. The other characteristic that you've got to have is, you know, in, in, in part, it is uh, the ability to take something that's very complex and taking that and being able to, uh, make, you know, create a sort of a, that, that we know we talk about this shared vision, this buy-in that you got to have and things like that. And great leaders are able to do that. They're able to take something that's very complex and sort of distill it to the essence of, if we were to do thus and such, we're going to be here. And everybody says, wow, that's inspiring. That's fantastic. Talking about inspiring, that's another characteristic of an individual. It's somebody that ins inspires. And if, you know, when, if, if an individual goes in and says, this is all about me, I'm the one, I'm the leader, I'm going to tell you how to do it, and you better do it, it's not going to work. And, and uh, my own, you know, uh, upbringing, as I saw people, many of the folks, you know, it's, it's uh, they said that, it's, I, but I share that all the time with, with people that I mentor as well. Lead by asking leading questions. If you tell somebody you will do it, they may do it, you know, uh, and, and they may complain and they may do it. They may do a, uh, have, you know, a, a sort of a, 
maybe even a lousy job of it and things like that because they don't like to be told. Just like children. Leadership is like being a good parent, by the way. That's exactly what it is, being like a good parent. If you ever tell the child, don't do it or do it, they're going to rebel. Then I don't like it. But if you say, hey, buddy, how about this? You know, you got to bought into the idea. So leading by asking leading questions is a wonderful thing uh, that I've seen. It worked with my mentors or is it worked with me as well. And I, and I practice it every day is, you know, leaders that go around giving diktats and edicts and things like that may get to a certain point, but they're forgotten uh, once they're gone. People are waiting for them to leave and they're forgotten immediately. But people that actually, you know, do the kind of thing where they celebrate, they, you know, support, they make other people shine. Those are the ones that leave behind that legacy of that knowledge, that remembrance of that memory of that individual. I, uh, boy, there's a lot of places I'd like to go there. And, and, and I, I think I can't resist on at least one of them. You, you know, um, living vicariously through others. Uh, uh, it's, uh, uh, what, a, what a wonderful way to think about leadership. Because uh, who among us um, uh, ever gets anything done on our own? It is only working with and, and through others that, that, that we're able to move. Um, um, but I, I, you know, I, I also want to go to this, you know, great leaders have, good leaders have that ability to get to the essence. Um, and it, you know, it makes me think back to your comments about the beginning of your educational career being um, uh, under the influence of the, of, of, uh, of the Jesuits. And, and, and so, you know, those elements of the Jesuit identity, including Kira Personalis, um, uh, you know, that, 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 that yep. the, the wholeness of, of life. Um, uh, and this is one of those things I've so admired about uh, Jesuit higher education, seems to have uh, a, a wonderfully understood charism or essence that has helped make those institutions um, successful. Yep, yep. And, and, and if I may, if I may, real quick, talking about Jesuits, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that they focused on was really soft skills. Yeah. And uh, this is before soft skills were sexy, way before then. They did. They've been doing it for a long time. And, and they understood that communication skills and critical thinking skills and problem solving skills and working in a team environment and things like that is what gets you ahead. And, and putting others ahead of your own self. And the Jesuits are phenomenally well known for that too, right? And, uh, you know, the other thing is, it's, uh, in any case, that I could go on and on about Jesuit education and, and how fantastic it's been, not only in my life, but in a lot of other people's lives that I know personally as well. Sonny, when you're creating or building a team, what is it you look for in the leaders that you surround yourself with? What do you expect of them? Yeah, uh, so... Uh, you know, a few things. One is that they have that sense that uh, you're not doing it for the glory that you're going to get. You're doing it for the well-being of the organization, of that enterprise, of that effort, of the public at large, etc. That that's what I look for. It's, it's that uh, uh, altruistic aspect who we are as humans. That's what it is, right? I'm, I'm looking for some, you know, that sort of uh, an approach. 
And uh, and, and every one of my interactions over the last many decades, whether I was uh, running my own lab as a scientist and having students and postdocs in my lab, and I saw the differences in how these students did their work and things like that, or you know, as I, you know, went on in higher administration or in the government and here, you know, as an accreditor and all that, I see people that are really, really successful, uh, do things, come in with that sort of an a priori approach that it's not, you know, an expectation. What am I going to get out of it? I'm going to do everything I can. And, you know, if I get something out of it, that's fantastic. If I don't, fantastic. It really doesn't matter. And, and so that's, I think, for me, the most important part of, uh, you know, bringing people together uh, in a team. And, uh, and, you know, along with that, of course, is, you know, going back to this whole idea about uh, uh, individuals feeling like uh, uh, they're doing all these things, again, along the same theme of uh, for the, you know, for the betterment of somebody that's, you know, that needs that sort of support and help, you know, education, you know, I, I think I've, you've heard me say this before, Jam, maybe or not, I've written about this and I've spoken about this. We as educators, you and me, right? And in my case, of course, also in my former life as a food guy, you know, we have the opportunity to address the human condition. There's no other endeavor that you can do that in. Education, getting us out of the morass of poverty and, and things like that, food. It's fundamental to our very existence. <laughs> so and when we think about it from that perspective, leaders that are inspired to address the human condition, they say, yeah, that's what it's all about. I want to do something like that. And uh, you can see the, I mean, you know, you and I have taught students, very young students on up to older students. And you see that light bulb, proverbial light bulb going off. And you see that in the leaders as well. And then when you don't see that light bulb going off in that leader's eyes, or that person's eyes, you know that this is not going to go too far with that particular individual. So you start making, uh, you know, alternative uh, plans as to what's going to happen because, you know, you want to make sure that whatever it is that that enterprise requires this team of individuals to do is going to uh, make the progress that it, it can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yep, we win as many as we can. We don't. We don't always win them all. Um, that's for sure. Let, yeah. Let's move into what I like to call a little bit of a lightning round. Um, you can provide answers as long as you want, but uh, uh, and and the first one I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, throw at you is who's been the most profound influence on you professionally? Professionally, maybe, maybe it's Norm yeah. Borlaug. I don't know. Because um, uh, yeah. and I was so I'm not clear whether he was someone you admired um, in the same way that you admired Gandhi um, or Martin Luther King or someone who, you know, had a direct influence on you? Yeah. Well, you know, Martin Luther King and Gandhi, their influence on me was more in a sort of philosophical plane. Norm's, Norm Borlaug, I know him personally, by the way. I got to know him later on. So Borlaug had an influence on me at a practical level. So one is at a mental level and the other one's at a practical level. So as a scientist, that's what I am, right? I approach everything as a scientist. I'm very analytical. I look at data. I look at evidence and things like that. And I make decisions. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and so Norm was 
from that perspective, my not only my hero, but uh, was truly instrumental. You know, going back to this term about addressing the human condition. There's a guy that addressed the human condition of a billion people that were going hungry and dying. He did that. I've had the privilege of not at that level, but doing something like that. And you know, NIFA, the National Institute of Food and Agriculture that I you know, was the head of uh, for President Obama, had this global impact. And, uh, and I can go on and on about all the things that wonderful things that are happening even now, literally as we speak, whether it's about droughts or about climate change or about obesity or whatever else that we've got going. So from a very practical level, he was very, very instrumental in who I am today. And, and of course, you know, you know, I like to say that what you're looking at right now is the sum total of my genetics and all the experiences that I've had. Yeah. Right. That's what it is. It's the sum total of it. Those experiences that I've had, you know, I've been amazingly privileged to have interacted with, met, talked to, being mentored by and all that by some amazing people. So one of those individuals is a fellow named Wendell Roloffs, uh, who is a, a scientist, uh, entomologist, and uh, uh, he worked on, uh, you know, he, he, he mentored me years ago and continues to even now. And the other one, you know, from a, from a leadership perspective, I, I dare say, and you know this fellow quite well, I think, his name is Mark Johnson. And, and Mark uh, got me on this sort of path of administra academic administration. He hired me as the first, uh, in my first administrative role as the head of the entomology department at Kansas State University. And, uh, and then, you know, he, is, he just literally retired Absolutely. And the president of the University of Nevada, Reno. And I think you know this, he had a little bit to do with my being, uh, you know, contacted by you uh, and, and the others with your firm as well. And uh, so he is another, I mean, so, so those are two individuals. One is a scientist and one as an administrator. And, and Mark did everything as an administrator. Uh, he had profound influence on things in Kansas when he was the dean of uh, the College of Ag there. He did in Colorado. Uh, he did it in, in uh, Nevada as well. And, but he did it with humility and humanity. And that was really, really important. You got to have that humility and that humanity. You don't go in there saying, I'm the boss. You do what I'm going to tell you to do. Uh-uh. A great human being. <laughs> yep. Really happy uh, for him. I think if I'm remembering right, he might be relocating to Little Apple. I'm uh, back to the Manhattan in, is retirement. In the, in, the, in the process of. Yeah. Wonderful. Sonny, is there a book that's had the most influence on you? Well, yeah. You know, I mean, I think for, for a biological scientist, I'm an entomologist, as you said, uh, you know, I worked with insects. Uh, I was one of the experts on, on insect sex, by the way. Your, your listeners may be interested in knowing that. And uh, so for biologists, for scientists in general, but biologists in particular, insects being a biological organism, uh, reading uh, on the origin of species by Charles Darwin, you know, that book was written in 1859, and, uh, or published, I should say and uh, had a profound influence. And, uh, you know, anybody who is a scientist, particularly a biologist, biological scientist, I'm sure would tell you that's, that one of, that's one of the books that's had a profound influence. And in fact, I mean, the, the, the application of evolutionary theory in everything that we do, 
I gave a talk here recently and I was, I'm, you know, mentoring a young lady who's done some beautiful work for the Northwest Commission. Uh, you know, in thinking about race and the, the things that we've got going, the territorial imperatives that we've got, the, the conflicts that we've got in, in across America, and now we're seeing in other parts of the world as well. And there's a biological, you know, you can, you can actually look at it in evolutionary terms, from, in biological terms as well. And I apply that in my context, in accreditation, in my context, in education. So we, we do this thing called social Darwinism, right? Let, you know, survival of the fittest. Oh, well, you know what? Let that bastard go get a job or whatever, right? Yep. Why is he on uh, or she on, uh, you know, uh, we talk about the welfare queens and things like that. You know, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm an atheist, but I read a lot of, I've read all the religious texts and, and again, invoking another sort of a, a religious uh, a statement, but for the grace of God, right? And, uh, uh, you know, and so those, those are things, and when we look at it from that perspective as a scientist from with an analytical framework and these evolutionary theories that can be applied to the context that we're in, helping people get an education, getting them out of the morass of poverty, wow, it's like making them more fit, yeah. right? You know, in a biological sense, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's been the book that uh, I might go on and on about I, other I, books I've read, it. but I think that's a fantastic book to read if you've not read it. That's that's a wonderful recommendation for our for our, our, our listeners. Favorite undergraduate experience uh, that you re reflect on? Oh wow! <laughs> wow, this goes back a few years. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think I shared with you, uh, not I think, I know I shared with you uh, the fact that I went to an agricultural college, land-grant college, not unlike our land-grant universities in America. And it was all hands-on learning, as I said. And we had to grow multiple crops. And uh, so, you know, uh, we had to rent the land uh, buy on credit in quotes, all the inputs like, you know, fertilizer, seed and, you know, tractor time and things like that, raise a crop and then you go ahead and repay. And then, you know, if you're successful, you got a few extra rupees in those days for India in your pocket. And I can tell you, it's hard work, man. <laughs> and uh, my crop failed because we had a drought. I was growing these millets, it failed. <laughs> and then uh, my friends who were growing uh, chili peppers, their crop did fantastically well. It likes that kind of a dryness, you know? <laughs> and uh, well, the market in another state tanked, so they got a premium on their crop, you know? <laughs> and you can see economics at play, right? Ag Econ 101, you know, agricultural economics 101, right? Supply and demand and the vagaries of climate and things like that. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And we, you know, would go and, and it, we learned a lot. I mean, it was like, you know, you learned about soil. And uh, 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 if, if you today, if you get the, if, by the way, if you get the Chronicles uh, news briefs every day in the morning, Today's at the end, the footnote, if you look at it, is the Virginia Tech soil judging competition team. 
uh, by Saul Judge. Okay, they won the national championship for the sixth year in a row or something like that. Imagine you're holding the soil in your hand and, you know, you smell that. Oh, my gosh, it's the most amazing smell and things like that. There are these, these memories that are evoked of being on the, you know, in course of the farm. I never became a farmer. And uh, uh, I'd say, I dare say that's probably something. And again, you know, that experiential learning, that hands-on learning and the importance of it. We know that today, right? We yeah. talk about how experiential learning and internships, externships, and all that are really important. So I'd say, uh, for me, that was a really wonderful opportunity to get a sense of that thing too. Uh, you've been, you've been, you may not have been growing crops, but you've been growing people and programs and and uh, you know capacities uh, throughout yeah. your career. What about a favorite tradition at a campus? Um, uh, someplace you've you've landed, something that you reflect back on and think that was really special. Oh wow! Well, <laughs> you know, each campus has its own, and, and there are some that are very similar, of course. And one of the things that uh, that I created, in part, when I was the dean of the uh, ag school at Oregon State University, so we have you know you know, major uh, division one football and things like that. It's a pretty big deal. And as you know, you've been in roles where you use that to schmooze with your donors, you know, and things like that. And many of your listeners do that right now. They're probably doing it, getting ready for their fall, you know, football season or whatever. And so, you know, they have, you know some institutions have boxes where you go, the president goes or the dean goes and schmoozes and trying to talk wealthy people out of giving some money and articulating that vision and all that. So at Oregon State University, it was this huge area above the, the, the end zone, uh, the north end zone, I think, I forget the exact details, uh, but beautiful area where all the deans, the president, provost, everybody would be there. It was a really nice a group effort. And as you might well imagine, the foundation, you know, laid a beautiful dinner and all that. I said, wait a second, you know, I said to my, the development people, my own development, I, I was, by the way, very successful at, at development as well. Very, very, very successful when I was there in three years. Yeah. And we got, what we did was, you know, the Oregon State University, I created a, you know, there's the wine research center, there's the beer professorship, the cheese program and things yeah. like that, you know, endowing those. So the fruit of all that work that's being done, that research and that science and things like that, can we go ahead and display it? And so we're working with various companies, small companies that resulted from the work that Liz Goddick and others did on cheese and things like that. And so those were placed with the sort of the provenance of the scientist, the science, the outcomes of it and the name of the company that was doing it. So uh, David Gremmel uh, is a guy down in Rogue. Uh, it's called Rogue Creamery. Fantastic blue cheese. If you like blue cheese, it's the award-winning blue cheese. And so that cheese would be being made available and the, the, the creamery. So it was a way to show that science that was being undertaken at Oregon State University was resulting in the creation of jobs and things like that. Not just, you know, helping whatever, some publications of papers and all that. And one of the beautiful things about the, the science that we supported, that I did and supported and, by, and, and my you know, Obama days as well, is science that helps humanity. Again, going back to the human condition. Yeah. Uh, science 
that is literally, you can see tangible efforts coming through. So that's a tradition, that uh, campus tradition that I had not seen anywhere else. Uh, and that was really, really cool. Really, really cool. I, I loved it. Yeah. Fabulous. I, I love the variety of, uh, of experiences and traditions that I'm, that I get the chance to, to listen in on. That's fantastic. He's like a fly on the wall. Yeah, no, it is. Um, you, one, of, one, of, one of our traditions here is we like to close the program out by asking um, our guests to share a little bit about what's special about the place that you serve. In this instance, the Northwest Commission. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the, the organizational DNA and um, what brings you and your colleagues to work yeah. in service every yeah. day. Yeah. One of the things that I share uh, quite often is uh, you may recall back in the old days, like in the 1980s, there used to be a commercial on TV. I believe it's the company BASF. And the tagline went, we don't make the things that you use every day, but we make them better. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that tagline, but I that's do. the tagline. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I say that we don't do the education or anything like that, but we make it better with the standards and applying those standards and all that and holding the institutions accountable. And so I say that we're like the BASF of, uh, of education. Okay. And, and so, you know, why I share that is because that's the driver. You know, here's this opportunity for us to serve, support, not going with my stick, but it's that bottom-up approach. I, and I use the word support, serve, and things like that. And not uh, thou shalt, you know, you better stick to these standards and things like that. That's, that's the old style, not anymore. And we've written up about it, by the, by the way. After all this got done here a couple of years ago, we got written up. We got kudos from the think tanks in, in Washington, D.C., saying, NWCCU, this is how you need to be doing it. And so when we, you know, so we've all started coming back to work now, uh, post-pandemic, right? In quotes, it's not post-pandemic yet. But as of today, everybody, we had our staff meeting this morning and everybody was here. Uh, I still have three people working remotely. I allowed them to work remotely. I have some very clear expectations that's been set in all that. But the DNA that we have collectively is that that's what we're doing is to help make things better. That's the bottom line DNA that we've got. Yeah. And I think that that stokes me. And I think, you know, if you were to talk to my colleagues as well, they're really stoked about that same sort of a thing. It's just a different sort of mindset that we've got. I, I love it. Um, I, uh, I remember those commercials. Um, I also recall my colleague and friend, um, uh, Dr. Rick Artman, when he was um, inaugurated as president at Siena Heights College in Adrian, Michigan, said, we're in the business of, of, of betterment. And, and it's, it's a thematic, but yeah. you, are, you are right. Um, as accreditors, um, the responsibility falls to you to help us all find a way to do better. That's right. the, that's what the public assurance is uh, uh, should be based on. Sonny, yeah. I want to say thank you for being our, our guest on Leaders on Leadership and, and really, really appreciate your sharing your story, your thoughts, your wisdom, your insights, and great to be with you. All right. Jay, thank you very much. I appreciate it very much. And uh, again, as I said at the outset, I'm honored that uh, you invited me to do this and uh, Stay well and, and stay safe, and and uh, maybe our paths will cross again here soon. 
our paths will cross again. My, uh, please extend my greetings to uh, all of our friends in the Northwest. Um, yes. uh, it's, uh, it's a great thrill um, uh, okay. to have uh, uh, had the opportunity to have worked together and, and, um, and to work with a number of your institutions in the Northwest. So um, a wonderful conversation. Um, stay cool out there in the Northwest. Um, and uh, listeners, we welcome your suggestions and thoughts for leaders we should feature in upcoming segments. You can send those to leadershippodcast at academicsearch.org. You can find our podcasts anywhere you find your podcasts. Leaders on Leadership is brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. Together, our mission is to support colleges and universities during times of transition and through leadership development activities that serve current and future generations of leaders in the academy. What a joy it's, it is always to be in the presence of uh, Sonny Ramaswamy, and, uh, and thank you again for being with us. All right, take care.